as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Potomy app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. And just like that, it's another election day, October 23rd. Monday is early vote. For November 7th, Hilda Salinas, our elections administrator for Hidalgo County, joining us. So let's start with the list of the entities that contracted with our elections office in Hidalgo County. Hilda, who are you helping this year? Well, we do. Uh, we are going to administer 17 local entities' elections in total. Um, just to name a few, we have the city of Alamo, the city of Edinburgh, the city of La Jolla, and the city of Wesico. And we also, of course, have uh, various ISDs, mm-hmm. uh, Edinburgh Consolidated Independent School District, Hidalgo Independent School District, Monte Alto Independent School District, and Westlaco Independent School District, just to name a few. Okay, and of course, the constitutional amendments that are on the ballot. What type of turnout are you expecting for this super sexy election that everybody's paying attention to, Hilda? Well, uh, we are expecting, uh, you know, people to head out to the polls and to vote. There are 14 amendments on the ballot. Uh, on our website, we do have the explanatory statements that explain each and every amendment. Also, uh, the entities uh, that we are going to administer uh, their election do also have uh, tax ratification elections, mayoral, uh, 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 council members, yeah. as well as bonds. So we, uh, you know, hope that everybody heads to the polls today. Stand for Hilda Salinas, our elections administrator for Hidalgo County. Yeah, I, I know you're being a little sarcastic about the sexiness of these elections. <laughs> Sorry, about but that. yeah, <laughs> but but they are important. I mean, but when people start seeing words like property taxes, tax ratification, they they kind of kind of tend to glaze over these things. But this prop, this state property tax measure was very uh was controversial for a time but garnered a lot of attention in austin a lot of conversation it finally passed and it's it's a very popular measure and these tax ratification elections uh people need to pay attention to those too i i would guess you know when we're dealing with taxes you would think that that would bring more people out to the polls well, um, you would think that it would raise an eyebrow, like, yes. hmm, what is yeah. this about? So uh, we, that's, that's where we encourage our voters, you know, to visit our website and uh, to research, to be informed and, and learn about all these amendments, especially the property tax uh, amendment, so that way they can make an informed decision once they go to the polls and to vote. So are you prepared for the onslaught? Of everybody running to the polls to lower their property taxes. <laughs> and know, that's what we're voting for. Uh, that's, yes, that's true. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yes, we are. We, we do have 29 polling locations open throughout Hidalgo County. And uh, we do have various links on our website to where if you do not know where your nearest polling location is at, uh, you can click on the link that says find your nearest polling location. You click on that link, put in the address where you're at, and mm-hmm. it'll uh, all the nearest polling locations will pop up. So that way you can decide which one you would like to and go to. If also, you, you can call yeah. our office mm-hmm. as well. If you see a, a big old flag that says vote here, anywhere in Hidalgo County, you can vote there. 
whether you're in Westlaco, McAllen, wherever you are, Mission, walk yes. walk in there. You can vote anywhere. Yes, you can vote at any polling location <coughs> located throughout Hidalgo County. Your ballot will be there. The only thing to remember is what? Take your ID with you or, or something else, right? Well, what do you need with, with you when you go vote? Yes, uh, you know, we do have the voter ID law in place here in Texas, and you can take one of the seven approved forms of ID, you know, with you to the polls, a Texas driver's license, Texas handgun license, your U.S. passport, your U.S. military card, U.S. citizenship uh, certificate with photo, uh, Texas election ID certificate, as well as your Texas personal identification card. Now, if you do not possess one of the seven approved forms of ID, you can fill out a reasonable impediment form, uh, which uh, the judge or the clerk there at the polling location will assist you with, and that way you can proceed and vote. Hilda, for, for people who do go to the website and uh, want to read up on, uh, well, let's say Proposition 4, which is the statewide property tax relief measure, and also these uh, school district tax ratification elections, when they go to, to read that, is it is the wording pretty self-explanatory? Is it, is it something that they can pretty easily understand? Yes, it's something that you will have to, of course, review. And uh, in reviewing it, it does, uh, um, you know, explain everything thoroughly. And uh, like I said, upon reviewing it and, you know, learning it before you head to the polls, you know, of course, that's always going to be a great benefit because you will be informed and you will know what is on your ballot because the sample ballot lookup tool is also there as well. Mm -hmm. And you can bring up your ballot. Again, how many locations, early vote and then day of vote, Hilda? Early vote, we have 29 early voting polling locations, and on election day, we will have 40. Hilda Salinas, our Hidalgo County Elections Administrator. Thank you, Hilda. We pivot to Cameron County. Remy Garza is our administrator in Cameron County. Early vote, how many locations? When do you start? What are basically the, the hours in Cameron County, Remy? Uh, we have 16 early voting locations from uh, South Potter Island all the way to La Peria. Uh, and our polls open up at 9 a.m. and close at 6 uh, during the weekdays. Okay. On the weekends, it'll be 10 to 5, and then the last two days we'll have from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Man, I love this more relaxed uh, mood in Cameron County. Get sleep in a little bit, go, go some breakfast, get some taquitos started at 9 o'clock in the morning. Hey, you guys are making some big changes here pretty soon. Uh, y'all might be doing countywide elections just like Hidalgo County. So what's the status on that, Remy? Uh, well, we're we're getting set. We're in the planning phases right now. Uh, we'll be presenting it to the Elections Commission and the Commissioner's Court uh, probably in the middle of November. Uh, set up our public uh, group to sort to work through recommending polling locations and how many we'll have if we were able to move to it in 2024. Mm -hmm. Remy Garza, our Cameron County Elections Administrator, joining us. Remy, Tim Sullivan here. You got a place on your webpage for voters to go to read about. Well, all the uh, constitutional amendments, the proposed constitutional am amendments to the uh, state constitution, as well as the uh, tax ratification elections, something that they can go and read and, and be able to understand what they're voting for. Uh, yes, at our uh, CameronVotes.com, uh, you'll look at the sample ballots, and right next to the sample ballots, we'll have a link to the uh, Secretary of State's explanations, uh, so people who are curious uh, and feel like they need more information, they can find that from the Secretary of State's office. Is that a different explanation from what's 
on the ballot itself? Yeah, usually the, the wording, is the wording different. Yeah, the the wording on the the ballot is going to be based on what was actually adopted by the legislature. And so the Secretary of State's office is tasked with providing uh, explanations of the actual item. So sometimes uh, the wording on the ballot is a little briefer, it's a little shorter, more concise. Uh, and then uh, if you really want to know what the background is and what other uh, things are, are connected to it, because sometimes uh, the constitutional amendment is just the first step in the process, mm -hmm. uh, and then the legislature can do other things once they get the authorization from us. Remy Garza, our Cameron County Elections Administrator. Again, first day for early vote is today. Election day is November 7th. How many entities contracted with your office, Remy, to run their election? Uh, we have a total of five that are, we're working with this time around. South Potter Island is having a uh, general election, meaning their mayor and uh, council members. Uh, Point Isabel Independent School District is doing a tax ratification election. In the city of Los Fresnos, you've got both the city and the school district with general elections, meaning they are electing their board members. And then in Santa Rosa, we have an ordinance that they want to consider extending the terms of their councilmen. Anything else you need to mention right now, Remy, before we let you go? Uh, we want to remind everybody that uh, take advantage of early voting. Uh, we saw a forecast for rain at the end of the week, so you might want to come in early and take care of it. Maybe we like going out. When it rains, it's so rare around here. I just enjoy a few droplets before we go out there. Again, check out the times, the locations, your website, Remy, for folks to check all that out. Uh, CameronVotes.com. Easy enough. Thank you, Remy. Best of luck to you this election. Remy Garza, our elections administrator in Cameron County. Hey, as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Potomy app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. And we welcome back Paul Villarreal, or Hidalgo County Tax Assessor Collector. Welcome back to KURV, Amiga. What do you think of the new studio? In I here? like it. Yeah. I like it. My God, this yeah. is great. Yeah, you <laughs> the space is great. That's right. It's really nice. You wait till the sun comes up with all the glass around here. We get to enjoy the, the sunrise. Okay, so uh, when I saw you last week, you were explaining to me, now that we got these bills going out in October, how, how does the election for the tax ratification for school districts, how does that work into what is being published? And also you got the election on the homestead exemption going exactly, from 40000 exactly. So how's that all that working out? Out of, uh, out of 44 taxable entities in Hidalgo County, it, at, our, at our office, at the Hidalgo County Tax Office, we collect for 42 of them. Uh -huh. So out of the 42 of them, I'm supposed to try to, normally by law, they're supposed to give me a tax rate by September 30th, uh, the 42 entities. Only 30, 40, uh, 34 of them were able to give me the, the taxable um, tax rate. And uh, the other eight entities are the school districts. They they uh, trigger an election on November the seventh. So I, I'm going to go ahead and send out tax payments by the end of the of the month, November first yeah. week of, of November. Uh, I'm sorry, October, the last part of October, first part of uh, November. So the other eight entities have to wait until uh, the election on November the seventh. Once they get that tax rate approved, then they'll give me the tax rate. I'll calculate the new tax rolls and give them an, a, a file so they can send the individual 
uh, tax statements for those uh, districts, eight entities, and that's the uh, La Jolla School District, McAllen School District, uh, uh, Mission School District, Hidalgo, uh, Edinburgh, uh, and we're looking at also at Progreso and Monte Alto. Okay. You do not collect for McAllen? Uh, out of the 44 taxable entities, the only ones that I don't collect for is the city of McAllen city. and the uh, the Donna School District, but McAllen School District I do. Okay. So, again, uh, the tax bills, um, they will not be going out <clears throat> for those Sorry. entities right now. Well, if, you, if you're in those, live in those entities or taxed in those entities, you will not be receiving um, a statement. From Once the you tax get your office. tax statement, you're not going to see. Uh, oh, the, you won't the, see it, but you'll, you, there'll be a follow-up. Uh, yes, you're not going to see the school district's uh, amounts. Okay. Of course, you got to remember that the uh, the uh, homestead exemption is also on the ballot on November the seventh. So it's from f the exemption for homesteads is forty thousand right now, and once. Uh, you approve it, it will go up to 100000 So let's say, for example, that right now we have a home that's in McAllen. I'm not sending tax statements for them, and the, and the value is 90000 Well, if the exemption goes up to 100000 they won't they won't get to see anything on the tax statement that I'm sending. For the school district. And then when the school district sends them on November the 7th, they're not going to see nothing for the school district because the exemption is going to be above the 90000 so it's going to be zero. Paul Villarreal or Hidalgo County Tax Assessor Collector in studio. So residents shouldn't be shocked when they... Right. Well, right. it's it's kind of... Uh, when they, they see the tax statement from uh, Paul Villarreal... They're going to say, well, he didn't include the school district. Why? They're doing a jig, right? Dancing. Right. Ooh, you know? I'm not being exact. No, no, you got to wait. Exactly. Uh, so, so, so one of the things is like, wow, you know, this exemption is great. It's only the exemption for homesteads only be 100000 If you have a home that's 200000 mm -hmm. it's actually going to deduct 100000 You're going to pay in 100000 So, But I wanted to make sure that we, we tell the, our, our community here in Hidalgo County that uh, for those eight school districts, you're going to get a tax statement if your value is above 100000 uh, later on uh, after November 7th. How much later? Well, it all depends uh, on the, uh, let's say, for example, that if your house is worth 105000 and you have the homestead exemption, then you're only going to pay on that extra 5000 uh, If your home is 150, then you're going to pay on the fifty. And if you don't have, if your value is lower, then you won't get one at all. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, the anticipation is then, I guess, that most people will vote in favor of the tax well, ratification we, elections as well as uh, Proposition Four on the constitutional well, that, amendment. That's a that is a great uh, um, question because uh, the directions that we got from the from the state, from the con uh, state controller, and of course the governor is for us to include. The, uh, on the tax statement right now yeah. to include the exemption like if it had gone through. Yeah. For whatever reason, if it didn't go through, then we would have to send a supplement ourselves. <laughs> but whoever doesn't vote, you know, for it, yeah. I'm going to just say that uh, for anybody, depending on Hidalgo County, if you have a homestead exemption and your home is above 100000 you're actually going to save close to about $600, $700, depending on the tax rate where your district is. So, I'm in favor, definitely, of voting for this uh, so we can save some money for, I, I for taxpayers. most people are. I, I mean, you see a lot of these uh, constitutional amendment elections, and when it deals with tax reductions, they're, they're passing in the 70 to 30 <laughs> percent margin. Well, you know. We haven't seen this in many years, so yeah. I, I think overall, you know, it's good for all of us. Can you give a brief explanation of what these tax ratification elections mean? Well, normally on something like this, I can give you a brief, but I always tell the districts, you know, uh, it's, it's better to, to, to maybe uh, 
interview them, you know, because mm-hmm. normally we, we have the truth indexation uh, that's uh, set up by the state controller. We're supposed to follow that process in order for us to uh, arrive at a tax rate that's good for a city, a county, or school, or, or special district. And uh, at this point, I believe that the school districts, some of them are growing so fast, some of them are so small, that depending on the needs uh, of the growing uh, of all the students that they have there, sometimes they they probably need to get a little bit more funding. Maybe the tax rate might go down, but depending on their compressions uh, of the tax rate uh, forms that they use, it might trigger uh, a, uh, a TRA, which is a ratification where it automatically has to go for, for a ballot uh, where the voters have to vote for it. So it doesn't mean that they're trying to just get more money. What it means is that they're just trying to make sure that they can service all these students that they have in their school district. They're not raising taxes. They're, they're lessening, they're narrowing the existing tax reduction. Exactly. I believe that's what they're doing. You know, like I said, I normally just work their calculation. I get the figures from them. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I definitely, uh, I always like to, for them to answer that. But I believe they're just trying to get more money for, well, for their for We've their had dis- Edinburgh um, several times, or they speak to us on a, on a weekly basis, and they're lowering the tax rate considerably. Yeah. Uh, I think it's like 21 cents, keeping three cents of that. Mm-hmm. And uh but it's like 18 cent, uh, you know, Thanks. per evaluation uh, reduction that they're asking for, and exactly. it seems to. I guess it's as a result of some of the what compression. Uh, that, according to the the new laws that the in, state put Austin. together, the compressions yeah. for for different districts because their values are, are are maybe in those big districts their values are bigger. So when they try to just try to bring in more money, uh, they might end up with a with a uh, an election, yeah. and they didn't. Paul Villarreal, or Hidalgo County Tax Assessor Collector, which, by the way, what Paul's talking about, which is the approval of the, you know, if you'd like to uh, increase the exemption on your homestead, just an example of what's on the ballot, if you'd like to increase the exemption uh, valuation from 40000 to 100000 unless you belong to the coalition that is out there protesting, saying, no, tax us more, tax us more. Uh, it, it, this, is, this is election time, and early, early vote is now. That's correct. Uh, all the way to, I think, November 3rd. Okay. And the election day is November 7th. So keep that in mind. You have to say yes to lowering your taxes mm-hmm. and also compressing tax, lowering tax rate at the school districts. You got to uh, get out there. I wanted to ask you something that was on the ballot because Freddie was taking a look at the actual wording of mm-hmm. the measure uh, for the homestead exemption from forty to 100000 The The word is temporarily uh, increase. Uh, what do you know uh, of the law that was passed that we need to say yes to? Okay. Uh, is it temporary, like what, one year, two years, four years? What do you know about uh, uh, the— uh, I believe, uh, I think it's two years, but you got to remember, there's the homestead exemption. That's that's for life. Once you once you approve the $100,000 uh, exemption for your homestead— that that's that's for life, you know. For why for the, the word then temporary well, in no, the ballot? I, I believe that's something. Some, is something it something else? separate? Okay. Because I I heard that uh, that there's going to be a temporary uh, exemption, but that's for a non homestead ex- property, mm. non homestead. Okay. Okay. If you have a lot, then uh, maybe for, for temporary, you might get a certain percentage for the first year and the second year, uh, like a cap. You know, where uh, uh, let's say for example that your home goes up to. Um, from uh, it's a hundred thousand, and it goes up to one hundred fifty thousand. Well, you have a ten percent cap on on your homesteads. You're only going to pay a hundred uh, on our system. You're going to pay at one hundred ten thousand. And I believe that the uh, the one that's temporary. Uh, that it's a, it's another exemption that says uh, that's for non homesteads. 
Uh, I'm talking about, you know, it could be a house that you're renting. It could be a oh. condominium. It could be a lot. Okay. It's empty. But the homestead is separate. All right. And, and one more thing, please. Yeah. Uh, just wanted to make sure for those people that have a home, for a person that has a home, if you don't have your homestead exemption, go and apply That's at the appraisal thing. district. Very important. The appraisal district has been conducting some uh, uh, seminars or actually with the city of Edinburgh, they actually went to a certain place and invited people to say, look, do you have a homestead? If you don't, okay, go ahead and apply because it's going to help you. Yeah, if you have if you have a zero at this point, it's going to go up to 100000 For For those that have 40000 it's going to increase 60000 more. So it's very important. All right. Thanks for stopping yeah. by, Paul. Appreciate it. Hidalgo County Tax Assessor or Collector, Paul Villarreal. I love your show. Hello. Hello. Having our voices heard. That's right. Yeah. You live and you learn. Exactly right. This is our country. Use your heads on this stuff. Bingo. Sick of the talking heads. I agree with you. Talk, 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 talk. Hello. Hello. Yes, I'm here. I'm just listening. Yes. No. Yeah. No. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Everyone is so smart. They are so dumb. Who is she the judge? To stand up to do something. Thank you. The Valley's only News Talk station, News Talk 710 KURV. For 20 years, Andrew Cannon played a major role in making decisions with other local leaders when it, when it came to transportation issues. And in the end, left the Rio Grande Valley, that unified metropolitan planning organization, but still working. Transportation issues, I understand. So we welcome back to the program, Andrew Cannon. Andy, welcome back. So... I'm kind of All hoping right. that maybe in two minutes you can help um, give a quick summary of 20 years of work <laughs> over at the RGV MPL. So, oh wow, you don't ask much. First, <laughs> I don't know how major my role was. <laughs> well, um, you were always there, man. I just, in the thick of it. I just took guidance from elected officials, man. Okay. You know, since I came into the valley, there's been a lot of growth. I mean, really, you know, everything—the low-hanging fruit, SpaceX coming in—but uh, you know, the improvements to. Now we have the bypass going around La Jolla. We've got the RMAs that are moving forward. We've got the I-69 designations, the I-2 designation, I-169 on 550. So now, you know, we I moved down here. We had no interstates. We weren't really certain. We've got three uh, fulfilling that connection going north. Uh, we've got great projects on the horizon with the Hidalgo County Loop, State Highway 68, uh, coming in. Anzel Duas wasn't even there. Now we've got that, and it's a major piece of infrastructure uh, that we have for the border crossings to assist with that. Um, you know, there's just been so much tremendous growth uh, here in the Valley. I remember where the convention center is. There was nothing there where yeah. road was still being expanded. Yeah. Uh, it, it's pretty incredible. It's, it's pretty incredible. And I, I know that's not going to slow down anytime soon. Yes, sir. In fact, it, it seems to be picking up speed. And uh, I think that one of the more impressive Feathers in the cap for you and other local leadership working this for uh, several decades. It's the unified RGV MPO, which placed us in, in just a, a different uh, places at the table when it came to funding. And I, I think that's making a, a huge different, uh, difference when it comes to funding it, roads. It did, and we're going to be, we're, I'm sorry, I mean, cut y'all, and we're going to be, you know, a, um, a metro area. And that's really important, thanks to Chairman uh, Terry, Terry Canales and some legislation he put through. Yeah. on defining uh, metro areas, which is really important for TxDOT. They get more employees, more funding, which means quicker review of environmental documents, advanced funding agreements. Excellent. Uh, and it puts us at the table when they have the conversation about Houston, Dallas, Austin, San Antonio. We're there. Uh, and TxDOT's working on the proposed rulemaking of it. We're hoping springtime it will become official. 
and the RGV will be a metro area, which is a huge shot in the arm for us. You've started already at TxDOT, right? You, you're up and running over at TxDOT? I actually start on the 6th. Okay. Uh, RGV, former... Today is my last board meeting. Oh, there you go. Congratulations. <laughs> I hope they provide cake uh, with the RGV. Uh, former leader, RGV MPO, uh, doing the pivot over to TxDOT. Andrew Cannon, our guest. Yeah, Mr. Cannon, Tim Sullivan here. You mentioned, you know, working with elected officials. And one thing I've always wondered, how is it working with the Texas legislature. I mean, all of the lawmakers are fighting for transportation dollars for their districts. How do you navigate your way through the politics to get what the Valley needs? Well, I think being a, you know, showing up and having a conversation with them and, you know, if you will, the old, the old adage, not just hat in hand, but having something that you're really prepared with, a project that is advanced, a project that as a local community, whether you're a county or a city, that you're putting skin in the game. You've got financial resources in, and that shows them a real commitment to that. And I think the Valley's gotten so much better at that in the last 20 years. I, I know when I came on board, it was a whole lot of, well, this is a textile project, let them worry about it. You know, or, you know, let's, you know, we'll get it, we'll figure it out later on. And I think that mentality's really changed. I think uh, there's more emphasis in using the state infrastructure bank which can provide communities really, really low-interest loans from the state. They have billions of dollars. They're, they're wanting to loan it out to people. And if you get that loan and you move forward with that project now, obviously you're going to save in comparison to what uh, inflation is doing to a project and waiting mm-hmm. for four years. Yeah. Wow. So tools like that that have been wow. exposed and talked about more over the last 20 years uh, have really helped. Uh, so it's helped a lot with the navigation to get those projects when we go up there showing a real commitment from the region yeah. and not just one local community. Yeah. What about locally? Is there much politics involved locally? I mean, is there much, I don't, I don't want to say fighting, but um, uh, competing for transportation dollars for projects right here at home between Hidalgo County and Cameron County, even within Hidalgo County as you try to prioritize all these projects. Sure. Sure, of course there is, Tim, and I hope that never changes. And the reason for that is because I think that drives the really good projects. I think all of these elected officials that sit around the table and make up the UPO know uh, that there's this friendly competition going on. And whoever brings the best project forward, you know, with the most skin in the game, the most advanced, the most ready to go, is going to be the projects that are giving the most serious consideration at the table. So there is that friendly competition at the table, and I hope that never stops because I think that really drives good products, good projects, and it brings the best up to the top, if you will. Yeah, which ones are at the top as we speak this morning? Well, East Loop in uh, Cameron County, uh, the second causeway. East Loop is a project, for those who don't know, is very paramount for the region. It connects the port to the Veterans Bridge. Uh, that's that's really paramount with the growth that's going to be happening out at the port and everything that's happening out there. The second causeway, that goes without saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, what yes. we call the I-69 connector, the east-west uh, high-speed, maybe uh, elevated type uh, uh, roadway that will connect I-69C and I-69E. Uh, those are major projects. IBTC, that got funded. That's yep. fantastic. That yep. was one of our you know most concerned to get far connected to the interstate. So everything's moving forward, and I think, you know, uh, I will also say that I think Pete Alvarez, the district engineer, is really doing a great job at trying to guide all this and get these projects moving forward with, you know, even though we're getting probably seven times more money than we were 
when I started here, um, it's still limited money for all the wants and the needs for a region. And I think he does a really great job of trying to advance the best projects as quickly as possible. 20-year leader over at RGV, Metropolitan Planning Organization, which wasn't the combined one, but he's been uh, spearheading uh, local decisions when it comes to transportation projects, working with local leaders. Andrew Cannon, our guest, has a new gig over at TxDOT now. Describe that new job over at, at TxDOT, Andrew. Oh, I have jumped from the frying pan into the fire, my friend. <laughs> uh, I got a job as uh, Director of International Trade, Freight, and Corridor Planning up in Austin. Uh, so I'll still be working on some issues and aspects uh, concerning the uh, the uh, border and border crossing times, uh, working to evaluate corridor needs across the state, how we move that freight from point A to point B as expeditiously and carefully as possible, and making sure that our trade infrastructure is in place or we have plans to improve it so as our trade continues to increase, we're able to meet those demands. Uh, it's a dynamic challenge, and I couldn't be more excited to be moving up there and try to get on board with it and hopefully put in some good, positive energy to that like I hope I have the Valley. As direct connectors, loops, all that are um, created at a faster pace thanks to more funding mm-hmm. here in South Texas. And, and now that it seems that we're picking up the pace of conversation when it comes to a second causeway at the island, do you think – We'll be given a chance to live long enough to see that in our lifetime, that second causeway? I have, and this is purely gut hunch, I think the second causeway will be funded next year. Wow. I just think that there will be enough emphasis on it. I think our legislatures are aware of it. I think that Governor Abbott's office, uh, even though the moratorium on toll roads, I think they understand the importance of that project. I think they understand the importance of how far Cameron County has gone to develop it. Sure. Uh, I think always believe when there's a will, there's a way. And uh, I don't know if it will be completely funded, but I think there will be some funding that goes to that right. project next year. I just so, think it's too much of an emphasis and, and for the it, area to be ignored. It would start, in your opinion, what, a 10-year, 15-year clock before we see it in reality or what? Oh, I, I think a 15-year clock is probably right on the money. All right. You know, it's funny. We talk about the uh, La Jolla, the bypass that's going around uh, the La Jolla area. That was one of the first projects we talked about when I got hired 20 years ago. So um, hmm. it was right on pace. <laughs> All right. All right, then. Andrew, best to you. Please keep in touch. Yeah, best of luck in and, Austin. Um, yeah, good luck at that new gig up in Austin. That's Andrew Cannon. He's now with TxDOT and former leader of the RGV MPO. Hey, as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. Watershed situation, inventory not getting any better for the Rio Grande Valley. We are super low and headed lower. Our water advocate, Sonny Inahosa, joining us again from Hidalgo County Irrigation District number two. Uh, Sonny, let's start with the latest numbers reported by IBWC. Sure. Good morning. Uh, the last figures we have are for uh, the week ending October 14th, and the United States share of water in the Amistad Talcan Reservoir System 
is 21.28%, which is just a little over 700,000 acre feet. You know, yesterday, October 25th, marked the end of the third year of the five-year cycle. And uh, Mexico is very much in arrears in their deliveries to the U.S. Uh, of course, yesterday was the anniversary date, but the data we have is from October 14th, and Mexico was behind 668,000 acre-feet of deliveries. You know, they're supposed to deliver 350,000 minimum annually, so they're they're very behind in their deliveries, and, and there's still two more years to go. We missed our our June rains. We missed our September rains. Yeah. So you know the outlook is pretty bleak. Um, the only thing positive is is the weather forecast. Uh, I've been reading that that they're forecasting a strong El Nino. Uh, I've heard comparisons that it might be like 2015. 2015 was a very wet year for us, so we're going to have to uh, count on that to save us because it doesn't seem that there's any urgency on the behalf of our State Department to negotiate no. with Mexico. They're, they're, and, and despite that, you really can't force Mexico to do anything. They will dig in their heels and, and refuse to participate. Well, let's say that the airflow and the, let's say that the forecast air airflow over the next uh, three to four months Let's say it doesn't pan out. It does not provide us the moisture that we need, especially over the watershed. Where do you think we might be at the end of the year and then going into spring and into planting season? Uh, how low might we be if we continue with the evaporation rates and the consumption rate we have right now? Well, you know, we're getting into a cooler uh, time of year, uh, shorter days. Uh, so that, that helps with the evaporation loss. But, you know, our, our we're, we're dropping at a slower pace now because we're running out of water. You know, right now there's four irrigation districts that ceased delivering water to their to their farmers. Uh, there's three in the valley and one in the Eagle Pass area. So, you know, in one week we only changed a tenth of a percent, and, and that might continue at that pace, mainly because we're running out of water. So for next year, uh, it's it, – it's not a pretty picture. You know, we're, something has to give. If we're not going to get relief from the weather, uh, it, you know, we get local rainfall that keeps us from having to, to request water to be released from, from storage. But if we don't, you know, it's, it's going to have to be Mexico. And, and they have the water. They, there's just no incentive. And like you say, we can't force them to release any. Our water advocate for the Rio Grande Valley from Irrigation District Number 2 is Sonny Hinojosa. Sonny, Tim Sullivan here. Doesn't the treaty have any teeth to it that would force Mexico to comply? No, it does not. And, and that's a huge problem. Any chance that we can get the treaty reworked somehow after the next five-year cycle? Uh, that's been brought up before. Uh, what needs to happen in order for that to happen, get all the thing, the entire thing rewritten? You know, the, it's, it's a difference of opinion on the interpretation. Uh, you know, the treaty and, and, and one minute in particular, you know, discuss how the delivery is supposed to be made annual. You know, an, a minimum annual delivery of 350,000 acre feet averaged over a five-year period. 
And then there's a caveat that unless Mexico has an extraordinary drought or accident to the hydraulic system, you know, that that foregoes an annual delivery, but it doesn't give them a, an excuse to not deliver for the whole five years. Uh, and and we recently learned that the IBWC supports the interpretation that Mexico has is sure. that they have five years to deliver 1.75 <laughs> 5 million acre feet. Okay. And if they don't deliver in the five years, they have a second five-year cycle to deliver that water. Boy, well, if Mexico- and we, we, we advocate that, that there needs to be some leverage outside of the water world. Yeah, you've mentioned uh, that before. What, what, um, yes. what could that be? What, what are the, some options? I do not know. Uh, all, all I recall is in, in 2020, when the last cycle ended, uh, our president at that time, uh, whatever he did, you know, the Mexican president made sure they did not default. So there are things that can be done. They're mm-hmm. just not being addressed at this time, I guess. Well, we, we know they don't make the headlines, these, these negotiations, yeah. but we do yeah. know that the State Department and the IBWC are, <clears throat> and, and their counterparts in Mexico, they're talking about something, right? You have mentioned previously before, too, uh, they're yeah. trying to renegotiate some sort of uh, or add a, a new minute to the treaty? Yes, that's true. They're they're supposed to accomplish a new minute to the treaty uh, before the end of the calendar year. Um, and we recently, uh, just last week, had a meeting uh, with uh, the TCQ, who is has a seat at that negotiation table. Mm. And there are there are pros and cons to what they're they're advocating, and we don't agree with some of them. And we you know we are the stakeholders, so we should have some say in in what we yeah. we think is fair and right. But, um, you know, right now, ag- the agricultural sector is the one that, that is suffering, and we have been for a couple of years. It, and there appears to be no urgency on behalf of our state department to do anything for us. But once a municipality runs out of water, or not that they'll run out of water, they just can't get water delivered to them, then that perhaps will get the attention that, that this water crisis <laughs> you think. needs. Yeah, you think. Well, let's hope we don't, we don't get there. Sonny Hinojosa, our Rio Grande Valley water advocate, he's with the Hidalgo County Irrigation District Number 2. In that minute, that might be done before the end of the year, and if Texas via TCEQ has a seat at the table in those conversations, how about this? How about... Uh, well, Mexico, you're two years behind. If you fall two years behind in water deliveries, you tell you what, all inflows, any percentage of inflows into the, the, the watershed and your ownership in the watershed belongs to us. We're going to rewrite it in the accounting books. How about that? Well, yeah, and that is a proposal. Uh, it, it doesn't stipulate the two years, though, but it one of the proposals is to to allow the implementation of Minute 234 Minute 234 comes into play when a five-year cycle ends in a deficit. That deficit becomes a debt. So Minute 234 can be used, uh, which allows Mexico to dedicate any part of their two-thirds flow to the U.S. or allow transfer of water in storage in the international reservoirs to the U.S. So that that is a positive that could yeah. help us. I, I think that should be a priority considering the fact that, what, if we keep going down uh, past the all-time low, and we go to 18, 17, and 15, God forbid, we keep going down, uh, worst-case scenario works out. 
Cities need water. Farmers need water. Or no, or just declare bankruptcy. That's not ex- acceptable. Uh, I think the allocation needs to happen way before that. By the way, before I let you go, I got 30 seconds, uh, less than 30 seconds. How much water is Mexico holding in its, in its dams in the interior, re- refusing to release into the watershed? Right now, they have 1.5 million in the six tributaries that we're supposed to get one third of the water from, and then they have uh, uh, like 800, well, maybe eight, yeah, about six, six, seven hundred thousand acre feet in the international reservoirs. That would double but, yeah, our in, capacity in if, the, they, uh, if they if they release they let that go. Oh yeah, automatically double our capacity right there. Got, yeah. One and a half million acre feet in those six tributaries. All right. Thank you, Sonny. Sonny Hinojosa with the Rio Grande Valley Water Advocate from Hidalgo County Irrigation District Number 2. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 NKURB. Research related to liver disease in Hispanics, Latinos, gets a shot in the arm. The National Institutes of Health providing $4 million. And or folks from UT Health Houston, their local Brownsville office, will be participating in that research. We will welcome back Dr. Joseph McCormick, our friend, professor, and the founding dean of UT Health Houston School of Public Health here in Brownsville. Dr. Mack? Welcome back. So tell me about the liver disease research that has taken place and maybe how the NIH grant is going to help you expand that research. So thank you, Sergio. It's always a pleasure to be back. So, uh, Sergio, we know that, uh, that, uh, that people have, and particularly in our community, have a lot of chronic diseases such as obesity, diabetes, and part of the, that set of chronic diseases is liver disease. It's what we call a metabolic disease. That is, it's all involved with our metabolism. And so um, over the years, we have developed new tools to be able to look at not just the risk factors like people's diet, people's physical activity, uh, all those sorts of things. Now we're able to start to look inside the the under the hood, if you will, at what does our ancestry uh, give us in the way of susceptibility to some of these diseases, including liver disease. So we, once we recognized that liver disease, the level of liver disease was quite high in our population, including liver cancer, by the way, about twice the rate of national rate, we started to study this disease. But we've also developed some of these new tools, which is uh, all of the multiomics that is mentioned in the in the NIH announcement, and uh, that puts us into a very special category to be able to compete for grants like this. And what it will do is allow us to start to look more carefully at risk factors that have to do with literally with ancestry. What what do our um, we all have ancestors? Everybody does. And they give a, they pass on their genes through our parents and grandparents and before them. And what what does that uh, what does that mean in terms of risk for specific diseases? 
And uh, in the case of liver disease, that's what this uh, allows us to be able to do. And we have developed all of those tools in our, in our program in Brownsville. And the NIH has recognized that. It was a group of our peers who said, we do excellent work that, uh, that provided this opportunity. We're, we are one of six sites across the country that was selected for this very large study. It's a okay. $50 million study. Mm-hmm. So that's really what we're trying to do is why do we have uh, so much liver disease and wh- what component of it is uh, our lifestyle and what component of it is what our ancestors sure. uh, bequeathed us. Is it limited to that deeper analysis, the roots, the factors, or, or are there any potential pharmaceuticals that will be part of this study over the next several years? There are definitely, yeah. And if you think about this, probably you can't turn on your television anymore without seeing a new monoclonal antibody for autoimmune disease, for cancer, for all sorts of things. And all of these come from this kind of research because they are directed at molecules. And so to get to the find out what molecules are important, we have to do this kind of research. So there's no question that part of the effort here will be to say, are there new targets that we can find? And especially, uh, Sergio, I should emphasize the fact that this, this particular study is aimed at minority populations. That was the other thing that gave us uh, a real advantage. And so because people have realized that we have different ancestors and therefore we have different risks. So, and uh, NIH also realized that most of this kind of work has been done in the Europeans and not in uh, minority populations. So, uh, so we'll be doing this, and we may find some targets and some pathways, some molecular pathways that are different in our population compared to what's being seen in others. And that could open the door for new targets, molecular targets for, who knows, for drugs, for monoclonal antibodies. I think it's, uh, but that's part of the aim, to be sure. UT Health Houston. School of Public Health, our Brownsville campus, the one that Dr. Joseph McCormick is at, one of six sites in the country chosen for a new consortium, uh, provided $4 million in liver disease studies. Dr. Joseph McCormick joining us right now. Dr. McCormick, Tim Sullivan here. So you're saying there is potential for drug treatments for, say, uh, fatty liver. Well, right now we don't have any drug treatments for fatty liver. That's right. And so the way to try to understand uh, what could be targets is this kind of work. You know, we can do clinical studies, but that doesn't tell us what we should be doing in terms of medications and targets. And that's what this offers the opportunity, because as I said, we're getting under the hood to actually see what could be targets, actual molecular targets for treatment. Right now, we don't have any. Yeah. Uh, Why and that's not? part of the problem. We. Uh, because people haven't discovered them. <laughs> it's, it's uh, you know, it's... Uh, I mean, I'm just, th- it seems like many, this many, type of study is way overdue. It is. That's right. Especially in a population like ours, like our community, that has very high risk for, uh, for, this, for this metabolic disease, this liver disease. Um, and so it is overdue, and I think that's why... The NIH has put this kind of money into this uh, into this program. Now, some of the other c- uh, conditions are going to be looked at uh, by other sites include things like asthma. There is one site, which is one of our partner sites, 
at the University of uh, at uh, University of Southern California, they're looking at liver disease in children hmm. because if you saw the article in uh, in the Washington Post a couple of three days ago, you see that there is a massive increase in fatty liver in children, wow. and that's true. We have a a pediatric cohort uh, in our in our larger cohort, and we see that as well. So this is way overdue. You're right, and uh, it's. And it's become a real problem because now we're starting to see it in our children, not just in our adults. Did you indicate how long this type of study into liver diseases might might take? Well, this is a five-year grant. Okay. uh, But realize that we've been studying this liver disease now for 10 years. Uh, once we realized how, what a problem it, it was in the population. So we have accumulated a lot of data information already uh, that will be analyzed by, uh, by our uh, collaborators. You know, we're a really small campus in Brownsville, but we have collaborators all over uh, places like Vanderbilt, University of North Carolina, uh, Houston. Uh, and so they will be working with us to analyze our data and help us to really try okay. to get a picture of what is going on. Well, North Carolina, good. Houston, uh, that's good. Uh, the Valley, Brownsville. Uh, the other places, the other six places, uh, what does that say to you as far as where this liver disease study has been set up? Do you know the other three places that received the NIH grant? So there is a, yes, Columbia University in New York. Okay. Uh, and they're going to be looking at kidney disease. We also have a study of kidney disease, and we'll probably be working with them. Uh, the University of Illinois Chicago is going yeah, to be good. looking at uh, <laughs> at uh, diabetes. The University of California San, Fris- San Francisco is studying asthma in children, and the University of uh, California San Diego uh, is going to be studying eclampsia. In uh, again, these are all in minority populations, yes. and the ones in California are primarily in in Hispanic Latinos. All right. So uh, so there's a range of these things that NIH is supporting. Again, recognition of overdue studies of these uh, significant problems in our minority population. I've got about a minute left. So here at Brownsville, are you going to be looking for some, um, you know, handsome, um, chubby Latino guys to go in there, provide you some blood tests and history and, and all that to be part of the study here pretty soon? So we already have 5,000 people that we have enrolled over the last 20 years. So we are, we've studied, yes, we've studied this very intensely in our population already. So yes, we're going to be enrolling people and uh, doing even more intense studies. And the good news here is that some of these things that, uh, that, that have to be done, some of the omics are very expensive. And, part of, and a good bit of this grant pays for all of that. So we don't have to try to pay for it from our grants in uh, in Brownsville. Yeah, I was trying to elbow in the whole thing on the good-looking, uh, chubby Latino guys participating in the study. See if I can give you some history <laughs> on my condition as well. All right. Thank you, Doc. And best of luck to you. Keep us posted on uh, as you advance the study and other projects over at... Uh, Will do. Thank you uh, very much. UT Health Houston, right. or Brownsville right. campus. Right. Uh, that's Dr. Joseph McCormick. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. 
It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.